You're listening to Pros Like Us, brought to you by NFL Draft Blitz. And now, without any further ado, here's Alex and Lou. That's right, gang. We are back and better than last week. We hope week one of the NFL season is in the books. And of course, there are affirmations, overreactions, crazy storylines out there. Some what the hell was that thing from a few teams and a few players. We're also going to have a quarterback expert, quarterback trainer. And why don't we bring him right off the top? Joining us now is the pride of the profs from Rowan University, the current quarterback coach at Test Football Academy in New Jersey, Tony Rassiopi. Tony, how you doing? Everything's great, guys. Thanks for having me. Now, how does somebody become Tony Raz, quarterback guru? Huh. This is your pseudonym, right? I had really good coaches growing up that gave me a really good foundation. And then, you know, through the course of my career, I always knew I wanted to coach, you know, so I, I really paid attention to every detail coming at me. And then obviously when you start coaching, a lot of times you just kind of teach people what you were taught because it's what you know. This stuff's right. Some of the stuff, even though I was taught this, might not be right. Let me take a step back and kind of ask why I'm telling guys to do certain things fundamentally. And, um, you know, I've been lucky to meet some really good coaches over the years that kind of helped me through that process. Stuff I teach now, I probably didn't teach 10 years ago. You know, I kind of morphed into this philosophy and, and I think, um, you know, when guys come out to work with me, whether it's, you know, high school kids, college guys, or uh, pro guys, I think I have a good eye for it, and I know how to kind of make them become better players. So and that's all they ask. They just, how can you get me better? You know, a lot of times quarterbacks just want to know, like, why do I miss high or why do I miss low on plant throws, hitches, or um, certain areas of the field? And I think, you know, once you kind of equip them with this is why you miss and this is how you fix it, I think that um, at the end of the day that's what guys want. You were a pretty good college quarterback back in the day. Who played a key role in your development as a quarterback? And then later on, who played a key role as you uh, moved on and became a quarterback's coach? I was lucky I had a guy named Dan George, who is now a Long Branch High School head coach, which is down uh, at the Jersey Shore, right by Monmouth University. So he was my coach in high school, and, and uh, A, he taught me the fundamentals of the game, and B, he taught me the game of football. You know, you see a lot of kids nowadays, obviously, with these spread offenses, and they're not taught fronts and coverages and protections and, uh, you know, route concepts. You know, I was lucky to have him in high school. You know, I, I felt like when I got to college, I was so prepared to play the game, and, and he didn't have to teach me certain things that you probably had to teach other guys because I, I had him. You know, he was a huge mentor in my life just how to play the position and how to lead and how to work hard and you know, all the things that go into playing the positions. He's pretty much my biggest mentor. And then you know, along the way, it's, I've been lucky to work at the Manning camp over the last eight, eight or nine years. So I, I work with Peyton with college kids. So I've coached pretty much every top guy over the last eight or nine years in college, going into the NFL draft. And now, you know, your, your NFL stars pretty much now. I've been lucky to be around that, that guy and, and, and his brain and, and what he's thinking and, and how he did things and, uh, you know, the no huddle to route concepts to how to manipulate defenders. I mean, so it's, you know, it's like quarterback one-on-one, four days, and it's the best four days of my, of my year from a football standpoint. So what are some of the most common bad habits that you have to almost like coach out of kids? I would say the biggest thing is a lot of kids are, by nature, they're either 
you know, pitchers in baseball because of the arm, right? Or they played for a guy that kind of believes in an older philosophy of throwing the football. And, you know, not that there's a perfect way to do it. And there's only one way to do it. There's a million ways to skin a cat when it comes to quarterback fundamentals. But there's certain things that over time have been shown to be more effective for throwing the football. I see a lot of kids that are taught, or like I said, you know, baseball guys that kind of load on their back leg too much, if that makes sense. And then when they step, they weight transfer, and they kind of, like, they're almost pitching, right? You know, they'll bend at their waist, they'll come down, and that's why they miss high and low. You see it over and over again, no matter, again, high school, college, or professional guys. You know, just kind of fixing that flaw and just getting them more balanced and staying more balanced through the throw. Now that ball, instead of that ball being high and low, now the ball's straight, you know, and it's more consistent. That would be the biggest thing I would say. You know, 1990s quarterback fundamentals are completely different than they are now. You know, the, the problem is some guys still teach, you know, 1995 quarterback fundamentals where it's, you know, loading on your back leg and weight transferring and, you know, driving to the throw and or, uh, you know, ripping your front shoulder open and get your shoulders through because you thought they were a power source where nowadays, you know, really your front shoulder wants to stay close to the target as long as possible, which lets your hips do all the work and lets your elbow get up and extend to the throw. I mean, this is the most difficult position to play in sports, I think. You know, that, that's just my personal opinion. We're always hearing about traits. And, Tony, when, when you're looking at a kid, which traits are you looking for to say, okay, I can work with this? You know, sometimes it just their throwing motion, you know, you look for a natural stroke. You could really fix people's feet, their hips, their shoulders. You look for that trait, number one, right? Number two, you look for a kid that's, that's highly competitive. I mean, just over-the-charts competitive and loves the game of football. I mean, the best guys that I've been around as a player and obviously as a coach now, they have that trait. It's just it doesn't matter what the sport is or what time of day it is. They want to compete if you're keeping score, number one. And number two, they don't look at coming out and throwing for two hours on, on a Sunday morning as work. They love it. There's an obsession with it, an obsession with being great. So that would be the two kind of tangible traits that you look for and obviously you know the, the stroke and and, and the, the quick feet are, are another one i mean we can go into a million things right whether it's they can process information and, and how fast they can do it and then there's spatial awareness right how they can judge where defenders are as opposed to where the receivers are i mean there's, there's a million things you can kind of layer and go into but the two biggest ones are really are they crazy competitive and do they absolutely love the game of football and obsessed with being great and this may be obvious, other than hard work, how can those be developed as a player matures? It's just practice, practice, right? Yeah, you know, it's a repetitious thing. You can make yourself into being a very solid player. We all know, you know, some guys have strong arms and others, and some guys are faster than others, and some guys have better feet than others. But if you drill fundamentals, I always pride myself in the fact that I could take a kid that it's just really trying to be a JV starting quarterback in high school. And if you spend enough time with me, I'm going to make you a really good high school player. And, you know, a lot of times from there, it's, it's how much talent they have, right, at the end of the day. So that would be the biggest thing. Speaking of talent, uh, there's a quarterback in Buffalo, Josh Allen, that has probably as much talent as anybody else, God-given physical ability. But when he came into the league, he was a raw quarterback. And uh, the Bills coaches did a very good job developing him. Are you surprised at the type of jump that he made from like year two to year three when he became an MVP type of uh, candidate? He's probably the most talented kid we've had at the Manning camp. There's been a ton of 
talented guys. Obviously, there's you know, been a ton of first-round picks come through. He had the strongest arm I've ever seen in person. But you saw, like you said, you saw his raw ability. I mean, you saw the arm talent, right? But, you know, there's definitely some, some footwork needed to get cleaned up. Uh, his throwing sequence needed to get cleaned up. Davis Webb, who's who's been a Bill now for over two and a half years, who have got trained for five years, is one of his backups and one of his best friends. I know, you know, really through Davis how hard of a worker, you know, Josh is. And, and Josh was very um, – sometimes when guys are really talented, you know, they've never really been coached. It's almost like coaches don't want to screw them up, right? So it's let me just give you the ball. Let me kind of tell you what to do, and uh, I'm going to stay out of your way. It's kind of – sometimes that's what happens to guys. You know, because of that, a lot of times when guys get around really good coaches, you see jumps like the way Josh has, you know. And, again, we're talking about just getting more balance. We're talking about keeping his front shoulder closed and staying balanced through the throw. You know, those kind of things, you're just seeing more consistent with them. Another New York quarterback, Giants quarterback, Daniel Jones. I think everybody is waiting for him to come into his own, make that jump. Another guy that was – was drafted in the top 10. The, the Giants invested a lot of uh, capital in him. What do you think are his biggest flaws? I know what I see. What do you see? It, it's funny you say that. Like last year, I did a lot of film breakdowns for the Giants media for Giants fans. So a lot of his film last year, for the most part, I mean, I, I coach in a fall, so it's not like I'm, uh, I have a, a ton of hours to spend watching him. But, um, you know, number one, you know, he definitely locks on to people. You know, um, and, and you see that with a lot of young quarterbacks. I always tell people all the time, like the two things young quarterbacks do is either they lock on to one in progression, right? And they just, all right, this play's meant for this guy running a dig. You just stare at that dig and you just hope he gets open. Or you just pick a guy that play. So, for instance, you know, Sterling Shepard might be three on his progression, but, you know, Sterling Shepard's really good and he just wants to throw Sterling Shepard the ball. And he might not trust two or he might not trust a throw of one and two in progression. So he just kind of picks Sterling, right? He just hopes he gets open and either you force it one or two, you hold on to the ball too long. And I think both those things, you see him hold on to the ball a ton. And, and then at the end of the day, his, probably his biggest flaw is what is his turnovers, his, fum- his fumbles. Do you think he's a guy that chokes under pressure? Because I think when, when the blitz is on, you know, he always gets those happy feet and, you know, he panics a little bit. Something I saw in college as well. I don't know if he chokes. You know, I, I've been around him twice at, at camp for four days each, you know, so eight days. And, you, and, again, you spend a ton of time with these guys. You're with them all day. So not that you spend years with them, but, you know, like you, you spend enough time where you feel like you get to know the kid and you feel like you get to, to work with him a little bit and see him throw it. I mean, he's got all the traits. I mean, he's a big guy. He can run. He's got a cannon of an arm. You know, I, I know they love the fact that he's kind of an introvert like Eli was a little bit. You're hoping for the jump, right? I mean, like – Last year, I tried not to hold against them because, you know, Jason Garrett, new offense coordinator, you know, with COVID, there was no offseason, new players playing for him, you know, so you really couldn't work out with guys, or if you did, you kind of had to do it secretly in, in Florida or Arizona where, or Cali where guys kind of went. You know, so I really tried to hold that not against them, but, you know, you're really looking for a jump from, you know, this year, you know, where, you know, where it's, you know, last year, you know, it's, it's the same offense, the same scheme, it's the same coordinator. It's pretty much the same personnel for the most part. So you know, you're looking to see him get back there and go through his progressions a little quicker and, you know, recognize that one and two are covered and get the three. If things aren't there, tuck the ball and make a play with his feet, not turn the ball over in big time situations. 
Tony, one of the guys that gets analyzed and overanalyzed, you know, even though he's had all the success and he's been an MVP and so forth, Lamar Jackson, what do you see? Sure. What advice would you give to him in his next step? I'll be honest with you guys. He's made a huge jump already. Like we saw him at the Manning camp and, and he was not, I mean, obviously he's physically gifted. And he's, he's a great athlete. You know, his arm was first round good for the most part, but you know, his footwork was, was a little bit of a mess. He was very inconsistent with his fundamentals, you know, so he made a huge jump even just going from Louisville to really through his rookie year to now. I mean, if you see him throw a ball now as opposed to when he was at Louisville, just from a consistent standpoint, he's he's a lot better. Now, he's still got a ton of work to do. It's really just it's staying balanced a lot of times. A lot of times he just kind of gunslings, if that makes sense. So, like, when you do that, you kind of just pat the ball and sling it instead of Know, keeping your front shoulder closed and using your hips and you know nice compact circle with his with his arm and the jump for them is going to be where he can make a living or at least be consistent on that third and seven to twelve range right I mean we both know if it's third and three they're probably going to run some kind of zone read or, or the threat of him throwing running the ball or uh, some kind of naked comes into play he's going to have to start making some more of of a living in that third. You know, third to seven, third to ten, third to twelve range, where you got, you know, you got to drop back and there's gonna be pressure, and you got to slide your feet and you got to make a throw, and you got to make good decisions and throw accurate passes. What do you think is like the toughest transition for college quarterbacks to make when they make that jump to the NFL? You know, it's funny. I, you know, I think nowadays because so many kids are bred up tempo, look to the sideline. For, you know, like I, I would not be surprised, and I've had guys who literally have never called a play in a huddle. Yeah, because high school, they were spread up tempo, and they went to a college for five years. They were spread up tempo. And, uh, you know, they're on the ball, and it's all hand signals. And you look at guys, sometimes they've never even stepped in a huddle and, and had to spit out a play. Sometimes it just starts with that, right, number one. Number two, understanding pass protections. You know, a lot of times in college, again, it's kind of either done form or the center kind of does everything where – you know, in the NFL, it's a lot of times it's predicated on you, and you're going to point the mic out. And in a certain front, you might have to, you know, flip the mic from being from the mic to the will and, and understand why. And if I flip the, the protection, now I need to know who who has who, who the five, you know, linemen have, and then obviously who the back has. And then after that, I figure out who my hots are. Those are the two big jumps right there. I mean, obviously the speed of the game, you know, the schemes are, are tremendous a lot of times, you know, especially on second and third longs, you know, like it's it's tough when you get back there. Um, but th- those are usually the two biggest jumps. And I just think it's just because of, of the way guys are kind of trained coming up, you know, like, you know, 15, 20 years ago, you had guys in high school who, you know, they, they ran kind of pro style stuff and they were in huddle and they got to college, as we all know, it's just pro style stuff. They were kind of taught the pass protections and concepts and why now it's just, you know, it almost feels like it's like, okay, let's dummy it down. Let's see how fast we can go. It's all about how fast you can go instead of the details of things. So you mentioned, you know, the, the difference from the past and so forth. And I think perhaps because of guys like you and Jordan Palmer and Quincy Avery and Beck and all these guys, it seems like the younger guys are better prepared when they come to the NFL eventually. As far as this past draft class, which guys do you think are really going to be special where you're going to have success? I look at it this way. They're usually, I say it all the time. Like when it comes down to being successful in football as a quarterback, no, not just the NFL, college, even high school. It's, it's, I always say it's the three P's. It's personnel around you. It's the play caller and that's your protection. 
So if you have those three things and you just do your job, usually you're going to look pretty good and you're going to be pretty successful. You know, if you have two of those things, you're going to see those inconsistent games, right? You're going to see the 300-yard game and four touchdowns, and in the next week you might see 150 yards and two picks. And then obviously, you know, zero to one, you're going to struggle. You might show flashes because you're talented, but you really have no chance. So between the three Ps, and then obviously as a rookie, if you're playing, they trust you at that time, but also they have to let you fail. And a lot of times we don't let these guys fail anymore. You know, you look at Peyton Manning's rookie year, right? He still has, I think, the rookie record for interceptions in a season. He was able to fail. You know, he, he was able to struggle at times and learn from it and, and get better from it, you know? So, you know, that's kind of the problem nowadays is, you know, you see these guys, they kind of get thrown in there, right? And it's, you know, you kind of struggle. And then that head coach and that maybe that GM who just picked you, they get fired, you know? And all of a sudden something comes in and they want somebody else new. It's a combination of three Ps as well as just, you know, being able to fail. So I think you, you may have answered this. I'm going to go ahead and ask you this anyway. So what would you need to see, I guess, from the kid? What's your philosophy is from just putting them out there immediately, or do we have them sit, watch, and learn from the veteran? I think in a perfect world, you want to got to sit, right? You look at, like, you know, the Aaron Rodgers of the world, right, where he's able to kind of sit back and, and learn the game and watch Brett. And, you know, so in a perfect world, I would say sit, you know, two to three years. I know it's not they're making. They're not going to. Um, and a lot of times, obviously, when you're picking ties because that team's not very good. So I think if you could sit and really just learn the game and learn the system, you know, a lot of guys are learning it on, on Sundays, you know, at, at uh, 1 o'clock or 4 o'clock Eastern time, you know, and tax stadiums are not learning during the week at practice like a lot of guys used to do. So um, I think because of that, you know, guys are learning on the run and you're going to see guys fail. And like I said, you know, I – if you're going to play a guy early, you better put some pieces around him. You better protect him. You better come up with some good things on offense as far as scheme-wise. And then when he struggles at times, you have to let him struggle and let him learn from it. Take your humble hat off for now, okay? Toot your own horn. Who were some of your top students, and how did you help them progress? Besides the Manning camp, I mean, from a person, what I love about doing the NFL draft stuff is that I get a guy that's really talented and had a really good college career, and I get to I get to make them my own quarterback for six to eight to ten weeks, depending on how long they're here in New Jersey with us at test. And um, and I love it because they don't play for anybody else for those eight to ten weeks. You know, they're my guy, and I can really push my philosophy on them and get them better and break them down and, and start them from the ground up, a on the field and be in the classroom. I love that phase of what I do. I love working with college kids as well. If I had to talk about names, you know, Gardner Minshew's a guy I've known forever and I've had forever, um, who's, you know, now from Philly, which is awesome. He's, you know, he's local, which, which is great. So I'll get to see him a lot more than I did, obviously, in the past. You know, Davidson Webb's been a guy, you know, you know, wrong place, wrong time, you know, with the Giants or else. He's probably the franchise right now. You know, he's a guy I've had for four or five years. Timmy Boyle, who uh, was Aaron Rodgers' backup for two and a half years with the Packers, is now with the Lions. Uh, Trace McSorley, who's with the Ravens, you know, had a great career at Penn State. Played a little last year before he got hurt with the Ravens. He's another guy. You know, and obviously I, I have a ton of college guys, which is great. So, you know, Anthony Brown from Oregon. I mean, Kenny Pickett, those are two guys I've had, God, for seven or eight years. I, you know, Kenny's mom actually was my next-door neighbor growing up in Ocean Township. I mean, that's how long I've known, you know, Kenny or the family. You know, Jared Garantano, who's 
who played at Tennessee, he's at Washington State now, is, is looking to have a great year. He's, he's super talented. He's got, he puts it together and, and does what he's supposed to do. You know, there's no reason he can't go high, you know, mid-rounds to high in, in the draft. I mean, people will love his physical ability as well as his toughness. Jared Dagey from West Virginia, you know, again, you know, a really solid year last year, started the year before a couple games, looking to have a big year this year. I'm trying to think who else. Arsitowski who was at Rutgers, you know, we talk about three Ps. I mean, Art, Art was Art didn't have any for uh majority of his career here. Is at Illinois now, looking to do big things. And, again, he's got, you know, it's just, he's got three years remaining. This is, so he's got two after this year. So it's been a blast. You know, I, how do I do it? I, I think there's certain things I look for in a quarterback that I think you need to do fundamentally. I think I, I relate to guys. I think I have an eye for seeing what certain guys need to fix within what they do. You know, I so, for instance, if – if a guy does something really well, I'm not a guy that just fixes things on guys because I want to preach a certain philosophy on them, right? If they do something really well, we maintain that. But we're going to figure out why he misses throws to certain parts of the field. Um, Spencer Petrus is another guy that I've had who came out a bunch this year. He's at Iowa. He's a junior. After starting as a sophomore there, he's got a huge upside, too. He's, you know, six five and a half, two thirty. He's your prototype Sunday kind of guy. You know, a guy like Spencer, that's why I kind of popped in my head. He's He's the guy that, like, I mean, from an arm talent standpoint, he's got it. Doesn't really miss the sides much. He understands how to tempo the football and get him over linebackers, you know, two and three balls. He just kind of needed from a weight transfer standpoint. He just needed to stay low and balanced for the throw, and he kind of missed high and low at times, and we kind of showed him why, and we fixed him. A lot of times these guys are really talented, and they don't need a ton. You're not taking a guy from scratch a lot of times at that level. You're taking a guy that maybe – their front shoulders hold them back, or maybe their weights on their back leg, that's holding them back, or maybe they're stepping across their body a little bit too much and they're locking their hips a little bit. Or they're, you know, when they're throwing to their left, they're kind of swinging to the throw instead of turning to the throw to make a straight throw. Or, or, or when they hitch, they're not getting bounced when they hitch. They're kind of pushing into it and their back foot's going under their body too far, which makes you overstride and sail the ball. Like those kind of things, it might be one of those things. I mean, that's, that's the fun thing about it is, is when you get those top-tier guys, it's, again, like I said, it's, it's kind of finding that one or two things, maybe holding them back and cleaning that up. And then, you know, it's really neat to see kind of the light bulb go off when, when it is right. You know, and now we got to rep it. That's all. Tony, last question on Kenny Pickett. He's off to a, a great start through the first two games. What did you guys focus on the most? What improvements did he make uh, during those training sessions with you? So, again, I, you know, like I said, I've had Kenny for, I mean, training-wise, maybe seven years now, you know. So, it's been a fun progression to see. I mean, he's such a hard worker. And he's such a talented kid. And he's, he's such a high-character kid. He's like what you want in your quarterback. He's like the perfect example of if you were going to start a, your team and you wanted the perfect guy to, to be the quarterback, he's kind of that guy. He's competitive. He's tough. He's smart. He understands the game. The two biggest things we really want to work on really this year was – he had a little bit of an overstride issue. He would load on his back leg and really push into his throw. His front leg would really overstride at times. And he, he has a really, really strong arm and elite arm, but he, he would lose a little velocity just because he got too forward. His hips would slide forward. So more balanced and a smaller step when he steps. Um, and also just pocket movement, you know, being disciplined in his base when he moves within the pocket. You know, at times when he was younger, he kind of would – you know, if he felt pressure or he felt like he didn't like something downfield, he was out of the pocket. He was gone. Where this year, it's it's kind of just keeping his base and kind of being disciplined with his feet and his hips and, and uh, just staying more fundamentally 
sound through movements in the pocket, and that's that's what you're seeing. I mean, I'm not surprised one bit. I've been it's funny. I talked to you know Pittsburgh media people over the last four years, and it's people are like, I, you, you called it, you know, because three years ago I was saying he could be this, and they were like, I don't think so. <laughs> so it's fun to see guys like him who who have the talent, the work ethic, and I know how hard they work. He's a kid like if they have eight days off at Pittsburgh, he's with me probably six or seven of those eight days when he's home. I mean, he's obsessed with it. It doesn't matter if it's raining, if it's snowing, if it's, you know, if it's 25, 30 degrees out, we're, we're going. It's going to work. Show me what I need to do, and that's it. Tell our listeners where they can find you on Instagram or Twitter and, and what you do at uh, Test Academy and the Manning Camps. Just uh, a quick plug. Okay, so uh, you can you follow me at, uh, at Tony Raz, T-O-N-Y-R-A-Z-Z-0-3 on Twitter as well as uh, Instagram. And, uh, again, I, I train, uh, you know, high school kids, college kids. I mean, obviously the majority of the New Jersey or tri-state area kids that are the FBS starters I've had, I don't know, 19 over the last couple of years that have started at the FBS level. So it's a lot of fun getting guys better. I, I train guys for the NFL draft every single year. You draft prep and test. You know, Kevin Dunn and Gary Goodmanson are two main guys there, and they do a great job running the place with, you know, the, the strength and the speed and the agility stuff. And I just – pretty much do the quarterbacks and I'll do the Seattle skill guys too, but obviously quarterbacks are my focus. And then um, I'll have guys in the NFL offseason. It's kind of a lot of fun. I, I coach at the Hunt School in Princeton right now in the fall. As I'm walking down to practice right now, we're one of the top prep schools in the country. We've got 67 Division One kids in eight years. And my quarterback here is um, Marco Linez, who's a junior, who's top 10 ranked kids in the country. So he's, he's a, he'll be a big-time national kid really soon. So it's a lot of fun. I appreciate you guys uh, reaching out and having me. Thank you, Tony. We appreciate it. Be well. Good luck this season. Yeah, thank you, man. Listen, if you need anything else, you can give me a shout, and I really appreciate it. All right, thanks again, Tony. Alex, let's look at uh, look back at week one here. I think just on the, sur- not the surface, but I guess 10,000-foot view, just looking at the league and looking at the divisions, you had the NFC West and the AFC West both go 4-0. Any surprise there at all? I don't think there's any surprise when it comes to the NFC West, uh, just because you and I both, when we did the NFL preview, we had three teams from this division. You had the San Francisco 49ers winning it. I went out on a limb. I took the Arizona Cardinals, and then we also took two wildcard teams. So that's not a surprise. This is going to be the best division in football, and it's going to go down to the wire. The way those offenses were clicking in week one, It's going to be scary. It's going to be tough to defend them. As far as the AFC West, we know what we have with the Chiefs, but the Broncos and the Chargers, those are the two wildcard teams. I mean, the the Broncos have a great defense. The Chargers have Justin Herbert. Some people have been picking these teams to go very far in the playoffs. And the Raiders. The Raiders surprised a lot of people, won that nail-biter on Monday night against the Ravens, but it was a depleted Ravens team. So I'm not sure we know how good the Raiders really are. Right. I mean, two teams in the AFC West that closed games that usually don't. Uh, The Chargers in Washington or Greater Maryland or wherever that stadium's at. You had Herbert last year where they lost a ton of close games, one-score games. 
He was a rookie, obviously had a tremendous season. Uh, the guys has grown leaps and bounds and just looking at his command completely, not that he looks much different than last year, but the results were there. They were able to close that game against a very good opponent on the road. So this that bodes well for this team, as well as getting Derwin James, Joey Bosa back. That That's a huge help. The Raiders, yeah, like you said, I mean, they almost raided it, right? They had every opportunity. They the game was over, but then it wasn't over. So then the Raiders tried to give it away. And then the Ravens tried to give it away. So it was just one of the, like a really strange game. And yeah, the Ravens are, you know, depleted. All these ACL injuries, Achilles, it's it's just hard to believe. But I would say from the NFC West teams, the most impressive one, I got to believe, is your, now your, Arizona Cardinals going into Tennessee and just making them look like they were not prepared to play. And, you know, if you saw the press conference afterwards from Vrabel, I mean, he was sick. I mean, I can't imagine how he lit into his team after that game. Yeah, I mean, both divisions look very strong, very capable. Again, it was only week one. Are we overreacting? Probably a little, but not as much as you would think. I'm all for it. I I think both those divisions are going to be well represented. And obviously, my Super Bowl pick was San Francisco and Kansas City. I can't recall. What were yours? So I had the Browns winning it. Okay. And then out of the NFC, I had the Bucks. Okay. Yeah, so I all right. Had... I'm leaning into the Western divisions then, I guess. So going all the way. But again, it was just week one. So let's talk a little bit about that Cardinals game. I mean, Chandler Jones, he comes in, uh, you know, demanding a trade. You think he's not even going to be there, perhaps? I mean, that would be a tough trade for them to make to get any sort of you know really equal value for the guy but still I mean he comes in just wrecks that game how big of an addition was J.J. Watt just having that threat on the other side that Jones just again wrecked that game Isaiah Simmons looks like a completely different player I gotta hand it to you here maybe maybe you're onto something I'm not too crazy, am I, Lou? Well, yeah, again, it was. Life. It's just week one. Don't don't let your head explode here. Okay, come on. Well, it was against the Titans. I mean, Chandler Jones and that defensive line was going against the Tennessee Titans offensive line, and Jones had most of his success against Taylor Luan. All right, this wasn't a rookie left tackle. This wasn't a journeyman. Taylor Luan is a top five left tackle in this league, and Chandler Jones just took him to school. I mean, five sacks. Two forced fumbles. Pay the man. And by the way, he was out last year for most of the year. Obviously, having J.J. Watt opposite of you, I mean, that impacts the game. But the fact is, I think the Arizona Cardinals front seven, as far as the defense is concerned, is a lot better than I think most people give him credit for. And you mentioned Isaiah Simmons. And I think Zayvon Collins, you know, playing in that game. They played against the Titans, Lou. I mean, they, they stopped Derrick Henry on the ground. They on the road, on that's them. what I'm saying. That's That was the most dominant performance, or I guess the the most surprising performance. Again, it was against an AFC contender on the road. That was one of those what-the-hell-was-that type of thing because you just didn't expect Tennessee to just look so futile. They didn't really do anything. I mean, you didn't see anything that resembled 
Titan football on that field. I mean, Derrick Henry had a terrible game. Nobody played well. I mean, I don't know that anybody you can say anybody on that team really played well. Yeah, that was that was very impressive. And of course, Seattle going to Indianapolis. Now they've had their challenges with their quarterback being injured during training camp, and it's his first year with the team. So you know they had some things going on there, but still, Seattle goes into Indianapolis and again destroys them. And Tyler Lockett and DK Metcalf. I mean, they just did what they do, right? And Russ did what he did. I believe Pete Carroll had to catch himself during his presser where he said something about Russ cooking and it, it just kind of derailed the whole thing. And he just like, he just had to quit right there. He goes, oh, no, that's out there now. I, I didn't say that all last year. you know. So that was pretty funny. Again, whenever you can go on the road against a quality opponent and kind of dismantle that, even just win the game is good enough. Um, as we talked about with the Chargers, those were the ones that said, whoa, these teams are, you know, they're coming out on clicking on all cylinders. They're ready to roll. And the Rams, the Ram- we got to see that offense yeah. clicking with Matthew Stafford. I mean, it was against the Chicago Bears defense. This isn't like a cakewalk out there. And you could say all you want about the Bears offense and Andy Dalton and all that, but that's still a very good defense, and the Rams made it look easy. So Stafford is is everyone's guy, and many people have him, you know, in the Super Bowl out there. And I love LA. We can we can go on and on, but the two, two yeah, the two LA teams won. I guess just uh, just to kind of tie up that whole thing with the Bears, can you really tell what they're trying to do on offense? You know, all due respect to Matt Nagy and what he, what they're trying to accomplish, do they have an identity? Because you know, as good as the defense is, if they're out there, you know, play after play after play, nobody is going to be that dominant that they're going to crush another opponent. These are all grown ass men, you know, to steal a term, and they all get paid, and they all the coordinators they they know what they're doing out there, so point is that you got to play somewhat of complementary football. I don't understand what they're trying to do. Okay. This kind of leads me into my next point. And that was uh, Nick Sirianni. He got roasted for his opening press conference. He was a little, you know, a little discombobulated. I'm sure he was nervous his first time, but his team looked ready to play. He didn't install a system even though he kept talking about installing systems, but he made his system fit what his quarterback does. If you watch the, the game at all, Jalen Hurts looked like he was back at Oklahoma doing all the things that made him successful. And then relating this back to the Bears is why not take your super athlete quarterback and build around what he does well until he gets his feet under him and is able to you know do whatever he needs to do in that offense. But again, Sirianni really impressed me. I felt bad for roasting him, even though it was really funny at the time. His team looked like they were ready to play, and they were playing hard for him. Again, here's one guy, first-year guy, doing it the right way. And Matt Nagy, I think, kind of stuck to his kind of roots and saying, okay, Justin Fields has to learn this offense before we put him out there. Sirianni just got everybody involved. I mean, Devontae Smith touched the ball. He got those two tight ends involved, Zach Ertz and Dallas Goddard. And then we saw Miles Sanders, you know, being involved in the passing game and then running the ball. It was just a complete 
offense. And we didn't expect that from the Eagles. I realized that they played against the Falcons, and the Falcons aren't a very good team defensively. I mean, they're still trying to find their identity, but the Eagles just ran away with it. They, they took that game. And I, I told you about Matt Nagy. He's in over his head, Lou. I mean, for a coach that knows that if he doesn't make the playoffs this year, he's going to lose his job, I think Justin Fields gives him his only opportunity to kind of survive. If Justin Fields develops over the course of the season, if he plays well, if that offense plays well, maybe you don't have to make the playoffs because, you know, the offense works. And he's just sticking to his guns. And does he actually believe that he can win with Andy Dalton? I mean, that's absurd. Put Justin Fields in there, and not only for a series or two. Make him the starting quarterback. I realize that rookie quarterbacks went 0-3. We're talking about starters. Trevor Lawrence, Zach Wilson, Mac Jones. I get it. But you let them grow. You let them learn. You throw them into the fire. And Justin Fields looked pretty damn good during the preseason. He looked better than Andy Dalton. Maybe it was against a second-team defense, third-team defense. I don't care about it. He gives you an extra dimension. We saw what Jalen Hurts was able to do. We saw what Kyler Murray brought to the table. He was doing some Houdini acts out there. Justin Fields can do the same thing. I'm baffled by Matt Well, I think Fields with a limited playbook is still going to be better than Andy with the full playbook because they've again they I just don't see an identity with that team you know they've got Montgomery they've got uh, Allen Robinson you know you you've got some weapons there Cole Komet is kind of coming on as a, as a tight end Darnell Mooney I mean you've got guys that can make plays but you got to put them in a position to do it and be successful at it and like I said I truly believe that you know if you take fields even if you limit it to some of the stuff that that he can do well for the time being as he's learning is going to be a hell of a lot more effective than what the hell they're putting on the field now. Matt Nagy, I don't know what keeps leaning on the fact that he doesn't want to put him out there and ruin the kid. And, you know, he's not quite ready. We're not there. We don't know. Who knows what fields, you know, how he is in the in the film room or all the whatever the heck they're they're looking at. But I still say that if you try it the other way, like I said, limit the offense, give him a chance, and you're gonna be much better off. Speaking of coaches, Lou, look at the difference that Sean Payton has had on Jameis Winston. Because Winston looked like a completely different quarterback against the Green Bay Packers. I mean, the Packers were supposed to be one of those favorites in the NFC. And look what the the Saints did to them on Sunday. Amazing. 20 passes he threw. Okay, 20 passes. I don't know that anybody really had many, many targets, any of those receivers. Jawan Johnson becomes like the, you know, tight end number one. What was he, like 14 out of 25 TDs? You know, some long plays. Not that we would have expected them to score 38, but... Did you expect the, the the Packers to come out and lay an egg like that? Like they weren't again another team that looked like they were completely unprepared to play the first game. Your quarterback's not there, not there all summer. Doesn't play in the preseason. I would imagine that that probably made a little bit of a difference. Seriously, thirty-eight to three. I don't know that it was that close. I mean, it just seemed really strange. Again, another team that couldn't get anything going that you know played in the NFC Championship game in the last two years. That was the worst game that I saw Aaron Rodgers play. Ever? Yeah, ever. He couldn't get anything going. I mean, he threw two picks, 
the offense scored three points. Are you kidding me? He made bad decisions. But the biggest problem, I think, was the offensive line. You don't have your left tackle on David Bakhtiari. I think he's the best left tackle in the game. He's not there. The offensive line struggled. The Saints won this game up front. With their defensive line, they were able to get pressure. Rodgers didn't feel comfortable. And when we turn to the other side, I mean, Winston was protected really well. He avoided pressure. He didn't turn the ball over. There was one pick that he threw, but it was called back because of the penalty. He used his feet more. I think that's what surprised me about Winston, Lou. He is not the fastest guy out there, and we not, never saw him in the NFL run for the first down. He used his feet to pick up yards on the ground. Plus, he was very efficient in the end zone. Sean Payton can make Andy Dalton great. I'm, I'm almost convinced of that. Uh, sometimes a great offensive coordinator, like an offensive-minded coach, can make all the difference in the world for a quarterback. Because I thought Jameis Winston was done. I mean, the Saints was the perfect situation for him, but I just didn't think that they would be able to coach him out of those bad habits. And they did. I realize it's only one week. It's only the first week of the season. And we, we're not supposed to overreact. But that was really impressive against a really good Packers team. We're going to overreact. Come on. That's what we see. To me, it was more so the fact that he didn't revert back to some of the old habits where he would just force a ball or just chuck it. I mean, he, I'm sure if you asked him, some of his best throws were probably ones that he just threw away. Or he checked it down instead of trying to make the big play. By the same token, he had one of those touchdowns. Like Again, these next-gen stats, you read it and it just kind of like sticks with you. He had a, a pass that was like 50 air yards plus. 50 yards plus. The one to uh, Harris. There, there you go. Number 11. I don't know how many pass attempts that Breeze had during this course with the Saints. But I think the stat was that none of them traveled over 50 yards in the air. And, I mean, to really break it down, and watching the last few years, obviously with Breeze, it was a lot more of a dink and dunk offense trying to find seams, and he was not getting the ball downfield. So if he is able to do that and stay efficient, I think Tampa Bay might be a, might have a problem here in the division. Not like they're going to overtake it, but it's going to be a lot closer than, than most people think. They go on the road this week. We'll see. You know, much improved Carolina team. You'll talk about their defense here pretty soon. Yeah, let's jump right into it. I realize that people are going to make a big deal about Sam Darnold winning against his former team, the New York Jets. It was 19-14. to 14. It wasn't pretty offensively. The Jets made a bit of a comeback at the end, but the Carolina Panthers had the game intact. It was the defense that really surprised me. I mean, it showed up. They, they had six sacks. They had 10 total quarterback hits. They had eight pass deflections. They forced a fumble on Wilson, and they also snagged a pick that he threw. So I thought the Carolina Panthers' defense, that's the team to watch out for. I realized that the Saints were very good, but I'm still convinced that the Carolina Panthers are going to be the team that's going to contend and put up a challenge to the, the Tampa Bay Bucks when it's all said and done. I just I became a believer in the Carolina Panthers' defense. I realized it was against the Jets, and the Jets are, are going to win five or six games this year. But still, I think this team is for real. I think Matt Rule is, is going to get this team into the playoffs in year two. 
Brian Burns, you know, I just in watch watching the game and you know previous games and so forth. I mean, this this guy seems to elevate every year, just getting better and better. And another one of these game wreckers. You hear a little bit more about them in the in the picks segment. There's a little uh, teardrop there, a little foreshadowing, a tease, they might say. One last thing, you know, going back to, to the games here and talking about game wreckers, we kind of missed this one. But T.J. Watt, now obviously, you know, he had his hold-in situation. He was at camp and not really working out. And, you know, new deals coming. Oh, my God, it's down to the last minute. If they don't get a deal done, I mean, the Steelers have a rule. They're not going to negotiate during the course of the season. No, we don't pay guaranteed money uh, past the first year. And, of course, they bent on the guaranteed money. So he... Got the big money, whatever. But again, in just T.J. Watt fashion, he also comes out and wrecks the game against the Bills at Buffalo. Again, another one of these surprises where you didn't really think the Steelers were going to have enough to go into Buffalo. But again, the defense made them look pedestrian. They didn't have much of a running game last year. So again, you know, Singletary didn't do much. Stephon Diggs had yeah, kind of a so-so game, really, you know, six catches I think he had. Here we go. You know, the Steelers. The Steelers, again, they didn't do much offensively. Ben made a few plays. Najee Harris had kind of a you know, even game. They had nothing too spectacular, but they made the plays when they needed to. They blocked a punt. You know, special teams, obviously, third of the game. They they made they did their thing. So what do you think about about the Steelers? Are they going to be able to play that type of football and continue to win games? Well, if you have a great defense, you're going to have a chance every week. And I think the Steelers' defense is going to have to carry them because that offensive line still stinks. Yeah, they didn't do much. Offensively, it wasn't like a, you know, it wasn't like a, a picture perfect. So I still say this is like a 500 team. Uh, I don't think they have enough. I mean, they, they have a couple of wide receivers. They seem to have a running back, but they don't have the people up front that can open up holes for them. And I think offensively, I mean, the, the Steelers are going to struggle immensely. And I, I still think this is not a playoff team to me, but that defense rose to the challenge against a very good Buffalo Bills team. Something that you can't say about the Cleveland Browns, Lou. I just I wanted to hit on the central game. They played against your Chiefs. They had the game in control through the three quarters. Chiefs defense was terrible until they rose to the challenge in the fourth quarter. Obviously, they relied on Kelsey and Hill, and they carried the team to a win. I realized that the Browns punter, I mean, he botched that play in the fourth quarter. You can't do that. I mean, you can't give away plays like that and then baker made vision at the end trying to you know flick the ball and i don't know if he was throwing it to a receiver or he was trying to throw it away but it doesn't matter you can't do that take the sack instead of you know forcing the ball out there the browns are close but not close enough i mean the the chiefs still showed that they're a championship caliber team well, it's it's Baker Mayfield, right? I mean, he looked tremendous during the first, whatever, three and a half quarters. Again, running game was going well. They were ahead. And you can say that about a lot of his games. I mean, even the playoff game last year, that was over before it started. It wasn't like he had to make a bunch of great plays. The Steelers, just to say they gave it away, I think would be an understatement. Again, in those late game situations where he has to make a play with his arm... 
The arm talent is there. He's got receivers and so forth. It just doesn't get done the way the elite quarterbacks make it happen. So you say what you will. I mean, the rest of the team, I mean, obviously, you know, Nick Chubb was on the offensive line was doing great. But again, Jedrick Wills gets hurt again against the Chiefs, uh, which, you know, hopefully he can come back soon for, for their sake. The Browns are going to be fine. They're going to win a lot of games this year because of that running game, because of Kevin Stefanski. But in this particular case where you have a team that is that explosive that can hit you at any time, and that when that avalanche starts, it's like you can't stop it. And yeah, the punter, I don't know if it was the noise or whatever. How do you lose concentration that deep in your own territory? I think maybe it was like his second punt of the day because uh, they hadn't punted. I don't think they punted in the first half. That's for sure. It's hard to really put into words and, and, and what that loss will do to them. Hopefully that loss doesn't turn into two but they do kind of get a break going home now and playing against the Texans, which, again, that should come up during the pick segment and another tease. So, so Alex, let's talk about picks. What do you got this week? All right, so my lock of the week in week one, I picked the Jaguars over the Texans. Boy, was I wrong. I mean, Urban Meyer was overmatched. I don't know, game management, play calling, not getting Trevor Lawrence in the best situations. Like, he likes those option reads. Get him in the play-action passing game. I mean, that's where he feels more comfortable. They didn't get James Robinson involved, who is their best offensive player. 50 seconds left on the clock before halftime. 17-7. to They're down. They dial up three straight pass plays instead of maybe taking the safe one. Take the wide receiver screen to LaVisca Chanel. Throw a running back screen to James Robinson. Get something positive, maybe seven or eight yards, and then get going You know, with the no huddle. They, they gave the ball to the Texans. The Texans marched because they had three timeouts. They scored three points, 20-7. to seven. They come out in the third quarter. Uh, Lawrence throws a pick. They're down 27-7. to seven. So, I don't know. Urban Meyer, it's time to take that USC job, Urban. I think it would be best. I mean, this this is going to be a total Bobby Petrino number two. You're just overmatched. I mean, you have a bad team, and then you just don't understand how to coach and how to get them in, in the best position possible because the Texans, the least talented team in the NFL, and then you lose, you know, 38-21 to 21 to them. I mean, that's crazy. Shouldn't happen like that. So, boy, was I wrong. I, I thought they were going to go out with the bang. Trevor Lawrence, Urban Meyer against the Texans in week one. Well, that didn't happen. So my lock of the week this week, I'm going to go with the Arizona Cardinals. They are at home. They're minus three, minus three and a half, I believe. I think they're going to get it done. They're, it's against the Vikings. And the reason why I think they're going to get it done is the Vikings had a lot of problems, especially in the first half on the offensive line. And whether opening up holes for Dalvin Cook or whether protecting Kirk Cousins. And I think Chandler Jones and J.J. Watt are going to have a field day once again against the Minnesota Vikings. I think the Vikings would be smart to use those wide receivers a little bit because I think they could take advantage against the Arizona Cardinals corners. They could take advantage of that. I thought Byron Murphy played pretty well. He, he's their best corner out there as far as you know the Arizona Cardinals are concerned. But I believe in Kyler Murray. I believe in that offense. When they get four or five wide receivers out there against the Titans, we saw that 
it wasn't only DeAndre Hopkins. It was Christian Kirk who caught two touchdowns. A.J. Green had a couple of receptions. They get Rondale Moore involved. I just don't think the Vikings are going to be able to match up with those wide receivers. I'm taking the Arizona Cardinals this week. They're at home. That's the lock of the week. All right. So last week I had four games. I ended up two and two. The Chiefs, I broke my rule and, and, and picked on the Chiefs. And, of course, they won the game. They didn't cover the spread. So that was the loser. Football team could not get it done against the Chargers. That line, when we spoke, uh, the Chargers were a one or one and a half point favorite that ended up being the football team was minus two by Sunday. But again, you know, that, that was a loser there. The two winners were Carolina. Uh, they were given three and a half, four points, ended up winning by five. And then Cincinnati won in overtime straight up. They were, they were underdogs. So this week, we're going to go back to the well with the Carolina Panthers. This week, they're getting three and a half. New Orleans traveling up there. Road game. Now, granted, their home game was in Jacksonville, and it was on grass, which you know sometimes they have some issues with it. Obviously, much better indoors. I'm going to go with the Panthers. I'm sticking with it. They're, they're getting points. Division game. Darnold got his feet wet there, so I, I'm going to I'm going to look for them to be much improved and that game last week against the Packers I think is an outlier. Let's see let's see if James can do it again on the road. Uh next one, I'm buying the Chargers. I really like this team. It it pains me to say that because they're in the same division as Kansas City, but I think they're going to take Dallas apart. DeMarcus Lawrence now is out for an indefinite amount of time. Uh Zach Martin comes back though on the offensive line. So I think that should be a big help. But I just think with Herbert and those weapons and the defense, specifically the defense at all levels, you got guys that can make plays. Derwin in the back, Kenneth Murray in the middle, Joey Bosa coming off the edge. Love the Chargers there. Uh, I think Cleveland, I normally don't lay double digits, but 12.5 points against Houston. Again, I think Houston, that was an anomaly there. Shout out to David Culley to have that team ready to play with all the distractions, all the detractors and basically us included, saying that this may be the worst team in the NFL. I think they're going to show it this week because the Browns are going to be awfully pissed. They're going to run the ball down their throats, and Hunt and Chubb are just going to feast. Um, I did have a fourth game, but it coincides now with my partner's lock of the week. So I'm just going to go with three games this week because I was going to go with Arizona. But let's not count that one because Alex gave it as his lock of the week. But I do have a sleeper fantasy play for you. Yes, we are full service this week. And I'm going to stick with the Arizona Cardinals. If you don't have him, get him. He was probably drafted, but if you have him, definitely start him. Start Trey Edmonds, the running back against Minnesota's defense. You heard it here first. So for my partner, Alex, special thanks to Tony Raz, the quarterback guru. I'm Lou. Until next week, peace.